Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Amen. I love that song to be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ, he alone is worth it all. No matter the sacrifice, no matter the consequence, no matter the pain or the challenge, no matter what we face. Of course, we learned that clearly in his word to the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. I want to ask you if you have your Bibles to open there with me in Philippians chapter 2 for our time together this morning. Uh, as you are turning there, I want to remind you today that we are living in such a unique and challenging time in our country. We're reminded through God's word that the enemy, the devil himself, is the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. From the very beginning, even with Adam and Eve, he has sought to do all that he can to divide and to destroy. And today, of course, we're seeing that in many ways in the context of relationships, in the context of our country, in the context of our government itself, there are many ways that the enemy is trying to bring about division and destruction. That has been his plot from the very beginning. But I do want to remind us as children of God today, for those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Before we open God's word here and begin to read from Philippians chapter 2, I want to read just a word of encouragement. I received an email late last night. Uh, as did many other pastors and ministries from Franklin Graham with Samaritan's Purse. And in that email, he was calling for today to be a day of prayer for the church. And he asked the church to pray for four things. Number one, to pray for peace. Because James chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Secondly, to pray for perspective. Because the wisdom from above, according to James 3, is first pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is open to reason. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. Third, to pray for patience because God's kindness and forbearance and patience has been given towards all of us in Romans chapter 2. But finally, pray for an outpouring of his wisdom and direction for our leaders and officials who are dealing with the current crisis, not only of the virus, but of the crisis that's taking place in many cities across America right now. We as a nation, we as a people, and I would say we beginning with the church, need to allow this to be a day that we turn to God himself. So before we go any further, I want to ask us to pray right now for our nation and to pray right now for God to bring a unity and to bring a peace and to give wisdom to our leaders as they navigate these waters today. Let's pray. Father, we gathered here just last week and we were celebrating and remembering the freedom that we have in Christ. We also in that moment expressed gratitude for the freedom that we have in this nation. God, we're reminded today that we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We're reminded today that we live in a day where many call right wrong and wrong right. God, we recognize today that the hope of all the world it is not in D.C., it is not in a political party, it is not in some government rule. The hope of the world is your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. 
God, I pray today for all of our leaders that you would give them wisdom directly from you, that you would direct their hearts. God, I pray today that you would give peace to our nation in the midst of what has already been a very trying time of crisis. Father, with recent events and recent days, that crisis is now only exacerbated by the various challenges that we're seeing today. God, help us to realize as a people that the issue is not a skin issue, but a sin issue. And we all are in need of your grace and your mercy and your salvation. So Father, we pray not only for wisdom for our leaders, we pray for our nation as a whole to humble ourselves and turn to you. You are the hope of the world. God, I pray that you would be with us as a church, that we would not look from a distance and cast a judgmental eye or glance, but instead that we would ask for that turning to you to begin in each of our hearts and lives, that we would be humbled before you, God, that you would move anew and afresh in and through our lives, that it would be a testimony and a witness, not only to our community, not only to this commonwealth, not only to this country, but throughout the entire world, that an awakening would occur in the hearts and lives of people as they're drawn to you. We love you and praise you. God, we recognize in this desperate hour, we need you. So God, would you move to bring healing today? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter two this morning, as we open God's word today, I wanna preach to you on the subject, joy in salvation. Joy in salvation. There are many people, of course, going through the midst of a trying, difficult time, a time where it seems like the whole world has gone crazy, that, that we would look at this thought of joy and we would say, well, how can we have joy? I, I mean, how can we have joy when we're going through circumstances and adversities, difficulties of all sorts? How can we have joy when it seems like the whole world's gone crazy? How can we have joy when it doesn't feel like we're getting what we deserve or what we think should happen in life? How can we have joy? Is it even possible? And the overwhelming answer from God's word in the book of Philippians is, yes, there is joy. There is joy no matter what you face, no matter what you feel. There is joy no matter what you even fear. Here's the reality. There is joy when you believe in Jesus. There is joy when you love Jesus. There is joy when you walk with Jesus. And I want you to see from the scripture today, there's also joy when you understand your purpose and your mission and you fulfill it of making others to know about Jesus. The apostle Paul in Philippians chapter two, we've been reminded numerous times, was writing from a Roman prison. He had wanted to get there as a preacher of the gospel, but instead he got there as a prisoner. But that didn't make any difference to him. He delighted in the fact that whether as a prisoner or preacher, the gospel wasn't bound. And even though his freedoms were limited, the message could still go forward. And so even in that time of circumstance, the apostle Paul found great joy in salvation. Notice what the scripture says, Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 18, and listen to how God speaks, especially to the church. Here's what he says. So then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Listen to this statement. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Listen to this instruction. Do all things, not some things, the things that are easy, the things that you like, the things that give you the feel goods, no. Do all things without grumbling 
or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Listen to what he says in verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, listen to what he says. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In other words, the apostle Paul is looking at us and saying, I want you to understand this morning, believer, that there is great joy in salvation no matter what you are going through today. As Paul pins these words, he pins these words to a church that was just like every other church today. Yes, there were many good things that were going for them, but they were an imperfect church. There were some divisions in the body. There were at least two ladies in the church who were having some conflict and contention between them. And as we know, when there's conflict between two, it quickly spreads to other people and to other parties. We've seen that in our own lives. We've seen that in the church. We've seen that even in our culture today, that a conflict between two can quickly become a massive wildfire that's raging out of control. Here, the Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul begins to write these words to speak to where there had been division and where there had been conflict in the body of Christ. And as he does, he tells us basically that there's joy in three aspects of salvation. Three key things I want you to see from Philippians chapter two. Number one, there is joy in the process of salvation. There is joy in the process of salvation. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you think you've misheard me, but let me, under, let me explain. I have intentionally used the word process. Now, before you accuse me of heresy or think I've lost it or gone crazy, please understand that when the Bible uses the word salvation, it uses it in three different tenses, in the past tense, in the present tense, and in the future tense. For example, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for every person who is called upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Ephesians 2, 8 says this, for by grace you have been saved. It is a past event. I hope today that you can understand and, under, and, and identify, hey, it was on this date and time, it was in this season of my life that I believed in Jesus and I was saved. It's a past tense. It's something that occurred. But the Bible also speaks of salvation in an ongoing sense. The Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, in my life, many years ago now, as a young, young child, I confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I was saved. But guess what's happening today? I am still being saved. God is still working in my life to produce the life in me that he desires. And here's the reality. I am currently being saved from this world and the ways of the enemy. But the Bible also speaks of salvation in a future tense. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, these words, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep for salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. He is saying there's coming a day that for those who believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, one day we'll see the fulfillment of that when we're raptured up and we're caught together and we will be completely saved from this world and the wrath that it will experience. 
What I want you to see in Philippians chapter 2 is God begins to give us a, a brief kind of glimpse, if you will, into this process of salvation. Two things about it. First, I want you to see that salvation is all about God's work in us. Salvation is not about our works. Salvation is not about what we have done. It's not about us earning anything from God. Salvation is all about the working of God in our lives. All of us are sinners who have fallen short of God's holiness, and there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. The very best we can do, the Bible says, is even as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. In other words, the very best of man's righteousness, the very best works and efforts you can think of, literally as we bring them before God, it's like filthy rags in light of his holiness and in his perfection. The Bible makes it clear that we are not saved by our works, but only by the working of God that is poured out through the grace and mercy of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, salvation is all because of the working of God. That God in his grace and his mercy had a plan for you and for me. That God in his grace and his mercy sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. That God in his grace and his mercy and his power raised his son, Jesus, from the grave. That God in his grace and his mercy through the Holy Spirit convicted you and drew you to a place where you knew that Jesus was the only way you could be saved. And then in that moment that you called upon Jesus, that God in his grace and mercy, he forgave you and he cleansed you and he cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. In other words, I'm saying to you this morning that salvation is all about the working of God. We can't do it in and of ourselves. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were without hope. We were completely lost without Christ. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 says this, but God... When you could do nothing to save yourself, when you could do nothing to change your eternal home, when you could do nothing to deliver yourself from the consequences of your sin, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. Notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter two, here in these words in verse 13, he says, for it is at God who is at work in you. In other words, this work of salvation, it's not just about the past. It's not just that you prayed a prayer, you were forgiven and you were saved, you got your fire insurance, you're good to go. No, please understand, the very moment that you call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, yes, you're forgiven, yes, you're cleansed, but God begins a work in you that he continues to work and fulfill. We've already seen this in the book of Philippians. We saw this in the very beginning of our series. We were reminded that salvation does not come by man's good works. We were also reminded that salvation does not come by the work of other godly people in our life. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, the apostle Paul is saying to them, guys, I want you to know I'm not the one who saved you. I'm not the one who changed you. I'm not the one that brought about this justification in your life. This was all about God. Philippians 1, 6, he said it this way. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. 
Salvation is all the working of God, not just what he did in the past, but what he is still doing today in the hearts and lives of all who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there's a second truth that we see in this text that shows us this powerful word of process, and that is this. Yes, God works in us, but as a child of God, guess what? We work it out. We work it out. Notice what the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. My beloved brethren, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, our salvation is clearly God's work in our life. However, that does not mean that we don't have a responsibility. That does not mean that we pray a prayer and we sit back and we say, all right, I'm good to go. I'm just waiting for heaven. No. Guess what we're doing today? If you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has given you life and breath in this moment, guess what our calling is? It is to practice this responsibility, to work out our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works so that no one may boast. But guess what it says right after that? Listen to this statement. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, please understand what God is saying this morning is this. We are saved only by faith in Jesus, but that faith leads us to works. So Paul says, work out your salvation. He didn't say work for your salvation because there's no good works you and I can do to earn God's grace. But he said to work it out. This phrase work out literally means to work to full completion. In the Greek culture in that day, this word was used in reference to a mine. For example, if you were to go to a mine where there was gold or a mine where there were certain gems, you would go to that place and you would work at it. And as you would work at it, you would derive from that mine that which is good and precious and valuable. I remember many years ago when I was a child in Alabama, there was a gentleman that was a friend of our families and he and his family had been coming to the church that we were a part of at that time. And I remember going to his house and I quickly learned that he collected baseball cards and he had collected baseball cards ever since he was a boy. This gentleman at that time was probably about the age of 60 years old. And I remember because I played baseball and I loved baseball cards, he looked at my brother and I and he said, I want you to go into these cabinets and you can take as many baseball cards as you want. Whatever you want, they are yours. And so I remember him opening up this cabinet and we took time and we began to look and, and, my, and, and I remember kind of going through all these cards and, and I was looking for certain people and certain things. And sure enough, my family and I left and I remember leaving and asking, hey, when can we go back? I want to get more baseball cards. Every time we went to that family's house, he opened up that cabinet and said, they're yours for the taking, take whatever you want. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm giving you a gift, but in order for me to enjoy that gift, I had to embrace it and I had to work it out. The apostle Paul is saying, listen, if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've been saved. Now here's what you do. You work it out. You work it out to full completion, like working a mind for that which is valuable and that which is good. I want you to work out your salvation, experiencing all the benefits and blessings that you've been attained in Christ. I often illustrate that through the relationship of marriage. On June 21st, 2003, the most beautiful bride in the history of the world walked down an aisle and she looked at me and she said, I do. 
And the pastor looked at me and said, will you? And I said, you betcha. You know, like I couldn't wait to get married. We got married on June 21st, 2003. And on that date, I became a married man. You know what I'm doing today? Now that we're here almost in June of 2020, I'm working out that, that relationship. I'm learning with her and I'm growing with her. We're spending time together and there's joys together and there's sorrows together. There's mountains together and there's valleys together, but we're doing life together and we're growing together. It's interesting to, to say that the fulfillment found in marriage is usually directly related to how diligently I am working it out. It's also interesting to note that the Apostle Paul gives a very interesting description of our relationship with Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's how he describes our union with Christ. He said, I betrothed you, I married you, I united you only to one, and that is Jesus. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying like a marriage relationship that began on a certain date. I want you to keep working it out and keep enjoying the blessings and the benefits that are available. The fact of the matter is this morning, there are many people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ who today are not walking in joy. Today, they've allowed circumstances and they've allowed distractions. They've allowed things to hinder them. And even though today they may profess Christ, they're not walking in joy. They remind me of the old couple one day that pulled up to a traffic light and the old gentleman was there behind the steering wheel and his wife was distant across that front row and she was looking out the window beside her and as she looked, a young couple pulled up at the same traffic light. And she watched with interest as the young couple sat close together. And it was clear that they were very close and very affectionate. She, she looked and watched as the young man put his hand, put his arm around the young lady. She watched as she looked as the young lady reached over to the young man. And she pressed her, her face against his. And then they kissed. And in that moment of affection, the older woman looked and she began to remember those days when her and her husband were the same way. She began to remember the days when they were close like that. She remembered the days when they were affectionate in that way. And she began to look over at her husband and she said, what happened? Why have we grown so distant? Why, why are we not like that anymore? Why, I wish we were like that. Of course, the wise old man standing there still behind that steering wheel looked across that long row and said, sweetheart, I'm not the one who moved. I'm not the one who moved. You know what he was saying along the way? Granted, there's all kinds of things that can affect a relationship. He was saying, listen, I'm still here. I'm still in the same seat that I've always been. Many times in our life, in our relationship with the Lord, we're lacking in joy, but it's never been because God's moved. It's because we often have. We've allowed our heart, we've allowed our mind, we've allowed our affections to become divided and focus on things that don't matter for eternity. What God is calling us to is to recognize this joy of working out our salvation and living out the blessings and benefits of this relationship we have with him. That is the process of salvation. But secondly, I want you to see this morning the proof of salvation. The proof of salvation. Philippians chapter 2, I want to remind us this morning that much of the world, much of the world cannot see Jesus. They don't know Jesus as Lord. They have a hard time understanding why this man who lived thousands of years ago was so important. They have a hard time understanding why he died and if he really did raise again. And even if he did, what does that mean for us today? Please understand this morning, especially Christian. The world may not see Christ, but they do see us. The world may not see Jesus walking on this earth, but they do see us. They may not hear his voice so clearly, but they do hear us. 
They may not see his grace and his compassion and his love for all, regardless of the color of their skin, but they do see us. And I believe in this moment, God is calling us to examine how we live our life, especially in the community and the culture and the world in which we live. Please understand this morning, many people profess to be followers of Jesus, but God has not called us merely to profess it. He's called us to live it out. He's called us to reflect Jesus to the world. Our lives should be lived in such a way that when we share our faith with others, they wouldn't be shocked to find who's really in charge of our life. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter two, verses 14 and following. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. I want you to see in this scripture, literally as Paul says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. Three things that Paul is referring to in this proof of salvation. I'm going to list them as three different proofs. Number one is the proof of conduct. The proof of conduct. Our actions say something to the people around us. Our actions in the world say something loud and clear about what is true in our lives. First John chapter four, verse 12 says it this way. No one has seen God at any time, but listen to this. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, God, just as he was incarnate in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, through salvation and now through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life, guess what? God is living within us. And as a result of that, it should change and influence the way we live our life today. If we abide in Jesus Christ, guess what? We're going to love Jesus Christ. But not only are we going to love Jesus Christ, we're going to love one another like we ought. And doing so is going to make us look very different than the world around us. Now, Paul gives two specific instructions of things to avoid. The first he says to avoid is the word grumbling. He literally says, do all things without grumbling. Uh, The word grumbling literally means one that is discontented, a complainer. That's really exciting, right? All of us who are parents, we understand. We've been in that situation before where we've told our children no about something and they've kind of walked away mumbling maybe a little bit under their breath. Maybe we would even admit there have been times in our workplaces where someone has given us a word of instruction and we didn't like it and we kind of walked away grumbling, if you will. Grumbling usually comes from a heart of pride and a critical spirit. It's speaking of those who are discontent because they didn't get what they wanted, they didn't get what they thought or ultimately what they deserved. Now, all throughout the Bible, we're reminded of the Israelites in the Old Testament and how they were people who grumbled. In fact, when you study the Old Testament, it's loud and clear. It seems that they were never satisfied. There was always this critical spirit. There was always this pride that made them think they weren't getting a fair shot, that they deserve something better. So in the Old Testament, for example, when they come to the Red Sea, what do they do? They immediately begin complaining. They couldn't see what God was doing, and they didn't know what Moses knew. All they did was they jumped to a conclusion, assumed a false reality, and then they began to complain. The Bible makes it clear that they complained when they came to Marah, and there they were thirsty. The Bible makes it clear when they were in the wilderness and they were hungry. Again, what do they do? They complain. So God blesses them with manna, but the manna wasn't good enough. Guess what? Even then they complained. 
Even when Moses went to the top of the mountain where he spent time with God, they got frustrated, they got impatient, and what did they do? They grumbled and complained that it was taking too long. It's interesting to note that a disgruntled person, nothing is ever enough to satisfy them, but here's the simple reality. What they failed to understand is what we often fail to understand when we grumble is this. We often think our grumbling is against man, but listen to what God says of the Israelites in Numbers 21. The Holy Spirit tells us the summary of their sin, saying, the people spoke against God and against Moses. In other words, they thought their grumblings were merely a sin against man, but God called them out. Their grumblings were really against him. But not only that, notice what the Bible says. Paul says, get rid of grumbling, get rid of it, and disputing, disputing. We all know what a dispute is. It's speaking of conflict that takes place. God is saying, listen, I want you to understand that there must be unity in the body of Christ. You might see division in the world around you. You might see wars in the world around you. You might see conflicts and you might see riots and you might see all sorts of things taking place. But as a child of God, God is saying, this disputing must be done away with. Here's Paul is writing to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter two. There were some ladies that we're gonna see in a chapter two over that were having this conflict with each other. People were joining sides and it wasn't a pretty thing. It's not a pretty thing in the world. I guarantee you it's not a pretty thing in the church. And Paul's saying, listen, there's some things that have got to be set right. There are some things that we got to take care of. Please understand this morning, the enemy has tried from the very beginning, and he still tries today to do all that he can to divide and conquer, to divide and destroy, to divide and hinder. Why? Because he doesn't want the world to see Jesus Christ in action. He doesn't want the world to see the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the compassion and the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is God is calling us today to still fulfill the command of Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Paul speaks and he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Friend, we can do that in Christ. We see the proof of conduct, but secondly, the proof of calling. Notice what he says in verse 15. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Did you hear what he called us? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he calls us a child of God. Think about that for a moment. Isn't it amazing that a child, you don't have to teach them how to emulate their parents. They just do. There have been plenty of moments as a, as a parent that I've watched my children do something and, I, and I've seen their mannerism, I've seen their action, and, and it's reminded me of myself. And, and I've been with pride and thought, they got that for me. They've been watching me. They've been spending time with me. And it seems like as soon as I have that moment of pride, the very next thing they do, which is wrong and mischievous and they shouldn't be doing at all, I sadly look at it and say, they got that for me, right? Or no, they got that from their mama. If it's bad, they got it. No, no, no. No, I'm kidding. No, the point is this. Children naturally emulate us as they spend time with us, as they watch us. It's amazing how that naturally occurs. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, listen, from the moment of salvation, you're adopted into my family. You are now a child of mine. And as a result, I want you to do something. I want you to live like it. Live like what I have declared you to be. 
I'll never forget whenever I went to Liberty University in the fall of 1999, I remember my parents taking me to campus and I remember unloading all my stuff and getting set up in dorm 5-2 on the circle at Liberty. And I remember after we got everything done and all the financial check-in was done, I remember it was time for my parents to leave. And I knew from the moment they left, they would be driving back home 600 miles and there I would be in a new city, in a new place with really only knowing one person there on campus. And I remember the last thing as my parents were getting ready to leave, my dad said, son, let's go for a walk. We walked around that circle at Liberty and we talked about a few things here and there and we had small talk and I'll never forget when we got back in front of that dorm, my dad said to me one final statement. It was the last thing he said to me before he left me at school. He said, son, don't ever forget who you are and whose you are. No matter what you're faced with, no matter what temptation comes your way, no matter what trial you face, don't ever forget who you are and whose you are. My dad was reminding me in that moment that who I was, I was a Kirkland. And with that came a certain expectation of how I would live my life and represent my family's name. But whose I was, was that I belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he was saying to me in that moment was, Matthew, listen, I'm not going to be here to look over your shoulder. I'm not going to be here to police your actions. I'm not going to be here to make sure you're doing the right thing. But when it's just you and that other person, when it's just you and that compromising situation, when it's just you and that trial comes your way, don't forget in that moment who you are and whose you are. You're a Kirkland. You belong to Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. Live like it. That's what he was saying. What God is saying to the Apostle Paul is, listen, you've been adopted into the family of God. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember you're a child of God. And as a result, live like it. Ephesians chapter five, verses one literally says it this way. Be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. The word here that Paul uses in Philippians chapter two, he begins to tell us then, what do children live like? He says, children of God are to be blameless and innocent. The word blameless literally means harmless. It means that in our actions, we are not doing anything to bring harm on the name of Christ. Let me ask you this morning, is there anything in your actions that are bringing harm on the name of Christ? Anything of your attitude, anything of your actions, anything on your social media posts, anything that's bringing harm on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? God says to be harmless. Then, then he says to be innocent. The word innocent here literally can be translated simple. It's the idea that you see right and you see wrong. It's the idea that you're not trying to live in the gray. You're not trying to push it however far you can go. No, you're living simply. It's right or it's wrong, and you're doing the things in your life that are seeking to please and honor God. Well, where do we do this? He tells us, verse 15, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And boy, do we live still today. Paul wrote this. In AD 61, 62, here we are in 2020, and guess what? We still live in a crooked and perverse generation. The idea of perverse is that it's backwards. It's completely opposite and contradictory of what it should be. We live in a day like that. We live in a day that calls right wrong and wrong right. And God says in the midst of it all, here's what I want you to do. I want you to recognize in Christ Jesus, you are children of mine. And as a result, you are to live in a way that brings glory and honor to my name, not like the world around you. The world around us has all sorts of division, all sorts of hatred, all sorts of injustices, 
all sorts of racism, all sorts of pride and division. But for the child of God, these things ought not to be this way. In fact, I'm reminded from Galatians chapter five, listen to what God says in his word about how we are to walk and live by the Holy Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, 16, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Listen to this. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I've already forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, how are we to live as children of God? Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved us and redeemed us. We've been adopted into the family of God. And listen to what we're now doing. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we have a purpose and we have a mission. You know what it is? It is to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, verses 14 through, 14 through 16. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Question for us this morning is this, Christian, are we fulfilling that? Here in 2020, are we doing that? Are we living like the children of God that he's called us to be? Are we shining the light of Christ, recognizing our calling and our mission in the world? The third proof, and I'll say it quickly, is the proof of commitment to God's word. Please understand, there is no way that we can live to shine the light of Christ like God calls us to without a true commitment to God's word. There is no way that our conduct will be different than the world around us. There's no way we're going to look different than the world around us unless we are firmly committed to the word of God. There's no way we're going to be the children of God that he's called us to be unless we're doing what he says in verse 16, holding fast the word of life. We've got to hold fast. It literally means to cling to. It means to grasp. It means I'm not letting it go. It's not getting cold in my life. I'm not putting it off until tomorrow. No, that we're firmly fixed in God's word, that we're taking it into our heart. And when God's word comes into our heart and life, literally it transforms us and it molds us and it shapes us to be the vessel that God wants us to be. God is looking at us through his word and he's saying, listen, there's a proof of conduct. There's a proof of calling, but there's a proof of commitment to God's word. When these things are true in your life, it is evidence to those around you that yes, you do indeed belong to Jesus. The third thing I want you to see in the text is this, and we're gonna wrap up quickly is this. I want you to see joy in the progress of salvation. Joy in the progress of salvation. Paul pins these words not knowing whether or not he was gonna get to the believers in Philippi and see them again. 
Paul's writing from a Roman jail, knowing that he is facing all sorts of suffering. He doesn't know if he's gonna make it out alive. He doesn't know what the future holds. But here's what he does know. He knows that his calling is to be a servant. And he knows that his calling is to make sacrifices for the name and the cause of Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Stop for just a moment. Few of us in our day today want to be a servant. We want people to serve us. We want people to help us and bless us. But Paul says, no, I'm a servant. Few of us want to think about sacrifices. We think of sacrifices as inconveniences and challenges that we'll face. The apostle Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. What he's literally saying is, my life is being poured out. My very breath is being poured out. My energy, whatever strength God gives me, I'm spending it all for your sakes. But did he whine about it? Did he complain? Oh, I gotta do this. Did he say, oh, it's so difficult. I never thought it was gonna be so hard. No, listen to what he says in verse 17. I rejoice. I rejoice that I get to serve Jesus. I rejoice that I get to make sacrifices because I know no matter what the pain I face, no matter what the suffering I face, here's what I know. I know that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is going forward and that those who are being saved are being edified and you're being built up and you're being equipped. And in this, whether I sacrifice or whether I serve, it doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter the pain. It doesn't matter the persecution. I have joy and I share that joy with you all. In other words, the apostle Paul understood his life was making a difference for eternity. So it didn't matter what it cost him. It didn't matter the inconvenience. It didn't matter the suffering, the time, or anything else. He rejoiced in knowing his life was helping others come to know Jesus. And those who did know Jesus, it was helping them to grow in their faith. In other words, his joy was not based on his temporary situation, but in his total surrender to the Lord's plan and purpose. But he didn't end there. Here's what he said. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You know what the apostle Paul's saying? Here's what he's saying. I've surrendered my all to the Lord. I'm willing to pay whatever the cost in order that people would know Jesus and grow in their relationship with him. And I invite you to experience that same joy. You can experience that same joy when you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can experience that same joy as you work out your salvation today. You can experience that same joy as you too are willing to pay whatever the cost in order that others around you would know Jesus and grow in him. Yes, it was a crooked and perverse generation. Yes, there was all sorts of chaos and confusion everywhere Paul turned. But you know what? There was joy in knowing Jesus growing in Jesus and serving Jesus no matter the cost. And I want every single one of us to know today, whether you're listening by car or you're listening online right now, there is joy when you know Jesus, when you grow in him and when you're faithfully serving him so that others around you may also know that same joy. I wanna ask you all over the field and wherever you're at listening online, would you just bow your heads in the spirit of prayer with me right now? Right now, I wanna ask you, a simple question. Do you have the joy of the Lord in your life today? Do you have the joy of the Lord in your life today? You may be sitting there for just a moment and say, Pastor, how can I have joy? 
Have you been watching the news? Have you been seeing what's going on? How can I have joy? You may be wondering, Pastor, how can I have joy? Have you heard what the governor's saying? Have you heard about this or that? Have you heard about the economy? Have you heard about my job? How can I have joy? Friend, I want you to know today, if you're trying to find joy in the government, if you're finding, trying to find joy and peace in the world, it'll never be true joy. True joy comes only through a relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I want to encourage you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can right now. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so right there in the privacy of your home or your vehicle, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now, would you just pray something like this? Would you say, Father, God, I know that I am a sinner and I know I don't deserve salvation. I need your grace. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again from the grave. And today I confess and ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Would you save me today that I might know you and grow in a relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Today, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that beginning step, that, that beginning of enjoying that gift of salvation, it just happened by faith that you called upon him to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're listening and tuning in and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I remember those early days of my relationship with the Lord. I remember that joy when I first knew what it was like to know that my sins are forgiven. I remember that joy of being a new creation. I remember that. Man, that seems like so long ago. Maybe like the illustration of the older lady sitting in that vehicle at the red light. You kind of feel the same way in your relationship with God. You're wondering why it's grown so cold and so distant. Why it's not warm anymore. Why you're not growing anymore. Today, maybe the decision that you need to make is to begin again working out your salvation. Quit doubting God and blaming God. Turning to the bitterness and the division that the enemy's bringing your way, but instead, turning to God. Seeking His grace and His mercy, trusting Him and surrendering to Him. Today, if that's you, I want to encourage you. Would you just ask God to forgive you? Like the prodigal child coming home, would you say, God, I... I need you. I'm sorry for running from you. I'm sorry for allowing myself to be distracted and pursuing all these other things. God, I want to be right and restored to you. Would you pray that? Finally, I want you to know there is great joy in serving the Lord no matter the cost. You know, the fact of the matter is this season of life has been so challenging from a ministry perspective. This honest confession as a pastor, it has been absolutely draining. It has been. But can I say to you in the midst of the difficulties and exhaustion there is still joy because there is joy when you know regardless of the cost and the price that the Lord Jesus Christ is being exalted through your life and obedience to him so today I want to encourage you would you surrender completely to the Lord to say Lord I am your servant whatever sacrifices you have me to make I want to be obedient to you I want to follow you just like the Apostle Paul. And may it be for your glory and may it lead to the joy of others. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds 
here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.